This is Gaming NBS Episode 04. Play it again, Sam. Right, welcome to Gaming and BS episode four. Wow, we've done four of these. Four That's makes fun. it a almost a month, right? Today, yes. Today we talk about well, we title it "Careful or You'll Break It." Did you come up with that? No, you did that one. I thought that was kind of nice. I, I think you did. I don't remember. I had a couple of them. I had a couple up there, and they were not very good. So I think it may be amalgamation of both you and I. But it fits. It definitely fits. So I didn't. Uh, I don't think we have any listener email this week, so that we don't have to uh, have to touch on that or anything. Actually, I think well, Lenny dropped us a line, but it was pretty pretty short, just saying no scene. Oh, all oh, regarding episode three. Did you see the email? No, I did not. Yeah, I said, dudes, episode three. All PCs are insane. No sane person, quote unquote, could be an adventurer. Yeah, we've had that. He and I have talked about that many times when um, he and I uh, hunt together. I've known the guy for 20 plus years. And uh, we'll be out at the bar talking, hanging out at his house, waiting for something to happen. And we'll talk about it and how if you and a bunch of your friends got together and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go down this hole. In the middle of this hole, I'm pretty sure there's like these nasty little demonic dog-looking things. You're going to try to stab us and eat us. And you're like, yeah, I'm totally doing that. I mean, it puts people who like the extreme sports stuff, it puts those guys completely to shame. It like makes, I think it would probably make like hardcore, crazy Navy SEAL, Marine Force Recon guys look normal. I mean, you're going to face things that doesn't make any sense. It's just you have to be kind of insane to do this. And then say, ah, well, you know, I never... I never want to sleep in a bed again. I'll just sleep in a dungeon a mile below the earth, hoping that some Drugar or some Slithering Tracker or an Ear Seeker or a Throat Leech doesn't kill me while I drink out of this puddle <laughs> because I'm all out of water. <laughs> Medieval Ages X Games. Exactly. All right, so uh, we'll skip announcements since we don't have a ton of them. You got anything, Brett? I didn't know for sure. No, well, just to do the uh, do the plug thing, my buddies and I, uh, Lenny, Alpha, and I, the three guys that make up uh, Dark Theater, we got together this last weekend before my uh, before my kickoff game with my crew, and we talked about what we can do. Now that schedule is kind of aligned, we got our Armifolio app out, and we've uh, pretty much set it so that by the end of this year, by December, we'll have an update to our flagship app, which is our character folio. So that should be pretty cool. We're working out the different features it'll have, but with iOS eight out now, we really need to get that updated and make sure things flowing cool. So kind of a, a pimping plug, but it's happening. So that's kind of cool. So if you're playing Pathfinder, go and download dark theaters. What's, what's the title of the app? It's the character folio character for Pathfinder. Folio. It's, it'll work for your Pathfinder characters and Savage Worlds. If you're Savage Worlds, dude, strongly suggest you grab hold of it. There you go. All right. Excellent. So random encounter. We have poll results from the website. 
So we have like a million gazillion people hitting our website with this poll, and I think it's get- crazy. I don't even know how we sorted through the numbers. We had to hire a guy. <laughs> we had that. We offshored it just to go through the numbers. It was difficult. It, it was tough. Insane. Yeah, Gallup called and said they wanted in on the numbers that came through. So if you haven't visited the website at GamingAndBS.com, by all means, please go ahead and do that. We have a poll up. The poll is, how did you get into gaming? Um, And there's a few different options, you know, whether you got into it via a friend of yours, um, if you found it on your own, um, if it was a relative or uh, a sibling. Brett, how did you you get into it? It was uh, from a friend of mine. I was in third grade, which is kind of goofy. Now I look back and my youngest son is in third grade this year. And my buddy Todd Thompson, his brother Terry, had um, had a sleepover, right? So Todd's like, oh, you should come over. We'll hang out. And I like dragons and stuff. My mom was into The Hobbit, and I'd read The Hobbit by this point. And um, he has these monster books. These just look really cool. We're tearing through it, and we're looking at stuff. And like, oh, we can play this game. It's called Dungeons & Dragons. Great. I want to be a knight. So I make a paladin. We have like like 25 stats, right? Our stats are like in the 20s just because we want to be crazy gods and fight demons and big stuff. And I just remember not understanding what melee is or melee or however the (laughs) hell we pronounce it. Thinking magic missile was like an ICBM, not understanding it because I'm eight years old and I've not understood what missile (laughs) means in any other format. But I had a freaking blast. Oh my God, did I have fun. And from that point, whenever we were going to have a sleepover at Todd's place, you know, any of us kids were getting together, and it was his birthday or over the summer. Hey, can we play D&D? Can we get your brother to run a game for us? And poor Terry, he was very... God, he had to be three, four years older than us, and pretty long-suffering older brother. I mean, he would just, all right, he'd sit down and whip up some stupid-ass dungeon off the top of his head, and as long as every every room had something to kill or something to try to kill us, we were totally happy. It was a blast. So that's how I did it, and from third grade until me now at 41, I haven't stopped. So yeah, I um, I was I think I want to say I was around thirteen, and in junior high, I think the teachers wanted to get some type of club going or you know different things students could get into, and I don't even know what they titled it. I don't know if they called it interest groups or whatever it was at the time, and had some older friends in the I think I was in sixth grade and some older friends in seventh and eighth. And our junior high was interesting because it was there wasn't any real walls between the classes. Yeah, I don't know. They were just too cheap. No walls. Was it, it was tense. It was just well, tense that happened to be connected. It was. They had they had like big huge partitions, like but they weren't concrete walls that went from floor to ceiling. So it was, it was like, like a big cube farm. Pretty much, and then okay. yeah. So I mean, literally, if you weren't paying attention, you could look across to the other side of the room and. And see a completely different class. Funky. Yeah, it's pretty unique. And so, you know, we got together and a few of my buddies just said, hey, you want to get into our D&D thing? We're going to do D&D. And I'm like, I don't have any clue what you guys are talking about. And then they explained it all. You you build this character. I'm like, oh, you build it. Okay. It's on your sheet of paper and it represents the character you're going to play. Oh, um, okay. And, you know, I mean, I couldn't grab the concept right away, and then they explained it to me, and then they said, well, you pick a class. So they were walking me through, like, character creation. You pick a class. And I said, okay, what's a ranger? 
They're like, oh, Ranger's kind of a fighter, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, Park Ranger. You know, Park, you know, is that a Park <laughs> Ranger? I don't know. I don't understand. What do I know? Yeah, I don't know. I think I've read Lord of the Rings, like, maybe after the fact. But finally got into it, and then it was, you know, I went out and got the PHB. And then, yeah, we, we've been playing ever since. I still play with some of those guys. But, uh, yeah, I think throughout my complete junior high school years, middle school, I don't think I ever... Didn't ha- I, I don't think there was a day I didn't have my PHB or DMG with me at some point. So, you know, homework, yeah, great. But I always had my, my – the hardback that may- mattered to me was like the PHB. So That's cool. It was yeah. kind of interesting is when, um, when my boys were getting older and they asked about it, what, what are all these books like? I was able to look at them and say, Connor, it's like Diablo but with dice on a character. You can do anything you want. There's no computer. Oh, yeah, okay, I know what that is. And my daughters, when my older girls were like, "What is this?" I said, "What's well, kind of like Sims, but on paper." With oh yeah, okay, I get it. Their yeah. role playing is now so ubiquitous without, not without, but within all these different computer games, um, apps, and all this stuff. Now it's just it's out there. It's everywhere. And um, you tell them it's like this, but with swords. Remember Lord of the Rings movies? Oh yeah, yeah. But it's like that, but you can do all sorts of stuff. And people, I find now when I explain it to them, like, oh yeah, I get that. Oh, you do that thing? I get it. Yeah. Just a different form of this other thing you already do. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, learning all the vocabulary and some of the words that... And, and Mom didn't care for me having the PHB everywhere I went and not bringing home school work, but I think she got wind of it at work. Um, she mentioned how I got into the game to some people that she had worked with who were probably in their 20s, and that kind of impressed her because i was playing games that 20 year olds were playing and uh if, cool. they, if it's good enough for them i guess you know it's it must be well a, 20 20 year olds got it going on well I mean, clearly. they, they <laughs> no, obviously kidding. that's cool yeah yeah so, so anyways if we, so if we actually look at our poll numbers right. i mean granted we the, the vast sheer volume of them it turns out most people have had it was a friend or they found it on their own and that's kind of surprising i've um I talked to a number of people over the years, and I do actually find it is, is a split between those two. Um, sometimes it's an older brother or sister, but more often than not, I find it's a friend, or they came upon it on their own, and I'm really shocked at the number of people that maybe they're yanking my chain on this, but no, I found it on my own. I was in a bookstore when I was you know, 15 and saw this red box. I thought it looked really cool, and I could play with my friends, and I had the money with me type of thing, or I, I think, what was it? One of the dudes I met in college, I can't recall his name, but his parents bought it for him or his grandparents bought it for him because they knew he liked that stuff because the mm. books he was reading. And they gave him this game thinking it was a board game and that's what he thought it was. And no, he still plays now type of thing. It was, it was you know, it's kind of cool. So it's kind of, it's interesting with the volume of, the sheer volume of numbers we have reporting in. But uh, to see it split the way I, I kind of expected it to, but I'm still always surprised that they found it on your own numbers. Yeah, over thirty three percent found it on their own, which is surprising. I don't, I don't know if I've ever run into one person that said that, but I guess if you take all my buddies together, somewhere there's patient zero. Yeah, there right? has to be. Right, yeah. there's that one guy who who got it given to him, or he found it on his own. I guess, but um, had to start it somehow. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah, good stuff. So visit over there, chime in, or drop us a line. And you know, how did you get in the hobby? It'd be an interesting one. Um, you know, share the short story with us. 
And who knows, we'll maybe mention it in the podcast or the next episode. Yeah, if you've got a good how I got into it or how I got out of it because I, my first experience was so terrible, but then I found it was great later. Or if you what happened to what really hooked you and drew you in is always interesting to, to look at and think, does that same hook still exist for you? Is that something that still really sings to you every time you sit down at the table? That's yeah, cool. no, that's good. So going into the main topic of discussion. Yes. So, so <laughs> I'll let you introduce that. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is Brett's pretty much. I talked about this with Sean a couple of times over lunch, and um, it's the overused images, concepts, tropes, or whatever it is you may have. Now, generally speaking, I'm a game master, and I've run games. I've run games, as I said, for my group for twenty plus years. I think I can count on one hand the number of times in those twenty years I've been a player in one of their games. One, I don't live in the same town anymore with those guys. And generally speaking, if I'm there, I'm running because that's what I do and that's my passion. So what happens, and this is a downside, right, to being with the same group of dudes and, and women for 20 years, is there's a number of things that I've overused. And when they sit at the table like, oh, it's that thing again. Or, oh, it's this, he, this Brett, that means he likes this type of thing. They always go on the alley because they know there's always something there or whatever the case may be. And I know, Sean, you run plenty of different games, and there's also the, the player concept, too. Do you always play Fightor from Fightor Land? Do you always play Rangers? All my half-elves have to have green eyes, you know, whatever that might be. And, like I say, you, you, you GM quite a bit, too. But one of, the, <laughs> one of the more brutal, or perhaps just, it's so brutal it's silly, but when I, I played Vampire for so many years, and I overused dead babies, believe it or not. Dead kids and dead children, babies especially. The guys would find some horrible cult, these evil, evil vampires, the Sabbat, which are these essentially demonic, you know, we're vampires, you know, F the world type of thing. And um, so these guys would come in, they'd find this cult, they'd go into the sub-sub basement of some su- of some factory or something, and they'd come in and they'd see, you know, a baby spitting on a pike or something. And the first couple of times, it was like, oh my god, that's just terrifying. Oh, somebody was gnawing on infants at this, at this nursery, and oh my god, there's a cannibal, and this is terrible, and... It was just this hideous thing, and after I did, and I'd done this a couple of times, I didn't realize how many times, and I just was describing something, and my buddy, I think it was uh, Chris, looked at me and said, dude, unless there's dead babies, like, hip deep in this room, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I said, what? He's like, whatever, dead babies. We're up to our eyeballs to dead babies all the time. And the whole group just nodding their heads. I'm like, oh, man. No one's, no one's grossed out by dead babies? What did I do? That was, that was the first time that actually something like that had hit me. I'm like, man, I'm I'm totally predictable. <laughs> they knew when this happened and they encountered this evil thing, there will be dead babies. And they just steeled themselves for it and like, yeah, whatever, dead babies will find the bad guy and kill him. No shock, no horror, no nothing. Oh, it's Cthulhu. Yeah, fuck, we see Cthulhu every Thursday. Oh, moving on. You've made them numb to dead made, babies. I made them numb to dead babies, which is, I, I'm not particularly proud of it. It's kind of, <laughs> it's just dark humor funny, but it's kind of, kind of gross. Um... Have you done anything like that when you GM'd? Have you ever used something that the players kind of go, oh, look at that, it's another Drugar attack or something? So I haven't necessarily experienced the same thing, but I also don't make up a lot of my home. I don't, my home campaigns are not, you know, homebrew. Most of them I just, nowadays I run, you know, prefab modules, pre-written stuff, just to save time and effort on a lot of things. So I don't have a huge amount of tropes on the GM side. Um, you know, I would imagine, I mean, 
The only other thing that may come into play that I might, it may come close to me using more than one or two times is kind of the uh, method in how, if you get a PC that dies, how do you bring in the player character's next guy into the game? So if I, that may be like the, the prisoner, Okay. You, know, you know, they have a prisoner. The next thing, they, the next room they come into has a prisoner in it. And that prisoner is the guy that you rescue and becomes a part of the party. So maybe that the way to go. And people hand wave that. I mean, well, I think it's. How about, how it, about this? When when you have an NPC, right? And the characters in, uh, meet an NPC. It's an important NPC. One of the problems I've had, another one I've done over the years, the guys don't trust any of the NPCs that become their friends because you know at gonna, some point you're going to screw them. I'm that NPC is going to screw them yeah. or they're going to lie to them or I'll shoot them in the head or whatever the case is. So like for, to make it new to them, they're like, Oh my God, Timmy, the NPC, Timmy lived through an entire year worth of playing. This is amazing. Do you do anything with your NPCs that when they go, Oh yeah, it's a wizard in a bar. Therefore he's got a beard down to his waist. He's got the pointy Gandalf hat the whole bit. Do you have any, NPC things that you're like, oh, it's the dwarf, and it's always this type of guy, Scottish accent type of thing, or anything like that. <laughs> or maybe I'm the only freak that does this, and this is my problem. <laughs> so I have had the issues with the 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 paranoid party that knows that the NPC that I'm going to throw at him is going to double cross him, and I've had that happen on occasion. Um, he, it's so it's not all the time, but you know it's hard to trust the new guy to the party and what they're all about. And so I've I've done that a couple times. I don't know if they would hone in on. I mean, let's face it: a lot of the party in in D anD D are always paranoid, anyways. Or at well, least you kind of have, have to be, right? That's adventures are crazy. You have to be a little paranoid to live. Yeah. Well, they're not only are they not. And I know we're kind of deviating from this, but, you know, when it comes to um, trusting a new NPC, you know, they don't trust each other half the time. If you get a couple guys in the party that are Weasley and they're playing the rogue and then one guy's playing the good fighter and the rogue goes off and comes back or passes notes to the GM. So then there's always this underlying paranoia anyways that they always, you know, that they tend to create themselves. So... I mean, I don't know. I don't think it takes me to take an M- to throw an NPC at the party for them to get paranoid about something all okay. the time. Um, that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Let's turn it the other way then. When you game with the guys who are your usual GMs, when you see something, now, granted, my examples are fairly extreme, like dead babies, right? I mean, it's, it's horrible. Um in my defense, it was like 1920 at the time, so it was you know half half a life ago practically. Um, the game masters you have right now, do they ever come up with something like, oh my god, I wish he would stop doing this thing? Because yeah, I saw that coming you know three sessions ago because it's a dragon's lair and that means there's always this or there's oh we're in a spaceport and that means there's going to be five of these guys. Anything like that that you see? So I do have I do have one buddy of mine who GMs. Um, when he gets a chance and he always has for ages and ages. Um, you know, frankly, I, I picked up the DM chair because, you know, he may not be around and I would just pick it up, um, in place of him, but he would, 
he would always be out to kind of get us. And you always knew that there was something that lied right that you know, was right around the corner that was going to get us. So, I mean, it wasn't, um, <laughs> you're just waiting for the other shooter drop every time. Dude, like, it's, okay. Yeah, it's total metagaming. You'd go in and be like, oh, I'm going to go in the room and I'm going to stop right at the corner. Do you go in further? No, I'm going to stop right at, I'm going to stop right at the threshold. Hold on a second. You know, tell me about the room. Well, it's this, this, and this, and that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Do you want to go in the room? And it was kind of like. Push, push, push. You know, poke, poke, prod, prod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, screw it. I'm not going to go in this room. Let's go to the next one. And he would just, are you sure you're not wanting to go <laughs> in the room? There could be something really valuable in there. And he'd have this big shit-eating grin on his face. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going in the room. So the door closes on me and, like, you know, just blows up in a huge inferno of fire. And I'm not prepared for it. So there were times, and, you know, we've talked about metagaming on the show before and how bad it can be and I, you know, I, how I don't like it, but you know, I've got to admit in the past I've done it just because I know that he's got something planned that I know I can foil because he is who Always he is. Always does it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that may not be the, it's not the, exactly the same trope every time. It's not like you're going to go into the room and bars are going to fall on, you know, each side of you. And then, something's going to happen. It would be always something different, but you, you, you know, it's funny. You could attribute that to just being the game that it is, mm-hmm. or you could attribute it to the DM that plays and runs like that. And with us, it was maybe one of the same. I don't know. Um, well, you know, to, to take it to the, to touch back on our metagaming pieces, right? One of the things that's interesting about this is that I found what in order to, and I was thinking about the metagaming thing, a couple days ago, and I'm like, I, I think these are tied, and now you're talking about it again, I'm definitely thinking they are, is that when I wanted to stop my players from doing that, I had to, like, physically take notes, take a break, do something else, or, like, stop that action and go on to some other thing, but force myself to stop doing the um, predictable, prescribed action that normally Brett as Game Master takes, because when I did that, when they acted in that metagaming sense, when they acted outside of character or in character, knowing that they the player makes the character act knowing you know what they have, blah blah blah. So they do that thing. They don't go in the room. Well, come to find out that in that room is actually this wonderful treasure, and there's nothing guarding it. It just happen, you know, whatever it might be. But just kind of turning it on its head and doing the exact opposite. So and they never knew when that was going to happen. So what I started doing was. For a while, I did like every other, just so I could get my own personal cadence. So no more dead babies. And um, instead, because I'm like, okay, what leads to dead babies? Evil cults. Brett does evil cults and dead babies. They're ubiquitous. They go together. This is stupid. So what I need to do is stop doing the freaking evil cults. I look back at it. I'm like, I think I've got 20 evil cults in the city of Chicago in this vampire game. This is just dumb. There couldn't possibly be 20 of them. So I'm like, all right. So the next time they get into something, it's not evil cult. It's just a bunch of guys that are their club members. They like to shoot pool or something. You know, I, I would change it. I'm like, oh, well, I thought that was evil. No, they're just, you know, bad people or whatever the case may be. There's no cult involved. They're just businessmen. So the guys would then, okay, next one. I'm like, oh, I really like evil cults. So I'm going to throw another one out there. I've got my own desire to do that. So they're like, okay, which is it? Is it, you know... Then they kind of get into figuring out, like, is it every other is his cadence? And I try to mix it up. And now I can kind of move with the flow a little bit so I can take try to become a little less predictable you know so that they have 
they'll meet NPCs that when they make them friends and they make them close family members, I don't kill every family member anymore. I used to do that constantly. <laughs> well, that's mighty nice of you. <laughs> it is nice, you know. But if you're a player and you had a, a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or your grandmother was alive and you, your character, she desperately wanted to you know, maintain his connection, I'd slaughter your grandmother in this horrible fashion in front of you to, you know. And I don't do that every time now because it because for my group it's just it's boring, right? They're just done. They're done with that. They don't care about that. They want something slightly different. So I have to be able to turn that around. The challenge that someone like yourself has, and you're GM in some a game group that for ages and ages. I mean, how many different things can you come up with um, where it's fresh and new all the time? And I think that's a big challenge. Just and I think having said that. There is an advantage to going and GMing with different players. I also think there's an advantage to listening to like different podcasts or being in tune online with different groups or communities online or different GMs or going to different conventions and listening to other people's games simply because you can kind of absorb a lot of different things that may be so obvious which kind of kills me like when i hear um some podcasts i'm like yeah that is like why didn't i think about that that is a no-brainer and it would be so cool but i think we get into our these like old familiar kind of tropes and and ruts and we don't discover something that you know somebody just points out and says oh yeah you know start you know you start your game in media res i mean i don't even know if i've ever done that and i don't even know why yeah, I've heard that a bunch of times. And, you know, um, Ken and Robin have talked about that a number of times. That's a big one in Knights Black Agents. You should go and do this and just boom, right there, action immediately. I think I've actually done it once, maybe, and this is in 20 years. I don't, I can't even recall it, so I don't know if it actually happened and worked or if it was so damn long ago. I have no clue what it was really about. It didn't stick with me. But I think you're right. One of the things that's that you need to do is that, which is actually easier now than it was 20 plus years ago when I started with this group is I have, I think five different books in different formats about how to be a good game master. I have all these dragon magazines and different game mastering tips and stuff that you used to read or, or whatnot. And now you've got podcasts and you've got Google plus where you can go out there and watch what people are doing. You know, there's tons of communities out there about the game you're running. Say you're running Knights Black Agents or you're running Dungeon Crawl Classics or some Savage Worlds something, you know, hack of Star Frontiers and you want to see how somebody's game mastering it. People have got ideas, and they love to share gamer war stories. I do. I mean, I just did it, right? It's a blast. And if you take the time to listen to the podcast, read a couple posts, a few blogs here and there, provided they're long enough to actually be real blogs, not just a fucking Google Plus post. <laughs> I'm not going to let that. will not die. I won't let it go. Anyway, um, I had to take one more crack at that horse. Anyhow, um, you've got all this great info, so when you feel like, gosh, I just I can't get out of this thing, there's a way to get out of it. You know, and I think on the, um, so if I take that, set that aside for a second. So Sean, as a guy who plays, you play, obviously play more than I do. So is there a point or a piece of predictability that you actually enjoy? You know what I'm saying? Cause I know some of my group, actually some of my group will tell me, I like this because it's comfortable. It's like going home to see your folks and your mom always makes this food. My kids are going up to see my mom with us this next weekend. And they're going to get spaghetti. They always get spaghetti at my mom's house. And the little kids love it. They, they're going there. If they don't get spaghetti and homemade cookies, this is not grandma's place. Is there, a, is there a comfort food that as a player, you don't care if the game master does this thing all the time because it's comfortable and you like it? 
Oh, I think I stumped him. I think I stumped him. <laughs> um, I don't Suck know. It. I don't know if I have spaghetti. I don't know. No? If I, I don't. I don't know. Um, you know the. I like the variety. So I, I, you know, my wife would attest to this that I think I have some type of ADD. Totally not, not formally diagnosed by any means. But I think with my attention span or my oh, my quickness to get bored. I don't I think anything that comes up that's new and fresh is something that I enjoy. I think if it's um an old faithful or something predictable, there may be some elements um that a DM that would run for me that I may enjoy, but I don't know if I can necessarily put my finger on it right here and now. Um because I think I like the variety for of a lot of different things. So I think even when in that crosses over even into gaming. So um, I wouldn't be able to think of an example right off, right off the top of my head. But one thing that you touched on, even when we started out was we've been talking about how you and I GM and, and some of the tropes that we can't let go of or are good or bad, or we repeat ourselves, but there's also on the player side. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we, I kind of hit at that a little bit. And I think from the game master perspective, there is more help if you want it. If like, my God, the players can always second guess everything I'm doing and they know it's Brett. They know he, you know, he does a Ken Heidi like thing where he has this occult thing in it. Granted, I don't have the, the insane breadth and depth of knowledge that he does for history and occult, but I always try to pull something like that into it. So they know that and they sometimes metagame play around that component of it. And there's tons of sites, blogs, Google Plus posts, Facebook posts, all this stuff out there. And that they're trying to help you as a game master, you know, get past it. But how many guys in your group play the same goddamn PC every time? And is that bad? Is that good? So I mean, it's not just it's not just the game master's fault, right? And the game master, we we want to do our thing, keep it fresh, keep it new. And I think there's ways to do it. Like I said, even a, a conscious tool, like I did, saying, you know what, I'm going to flip it on its head instead of every NPC betrays you. Or every every character you love dies. I, I make some of them live. Yeah, just let them exist. Just purposely let them stay alive, just to keep people guessing. It helps a lot. Uh, no more dead babies because nobody gives a shit about dead babies anymore. Um, which is a, which is sad, really. <laughs> in, in Brett's gaming world perspective, it's very sad. Um, or in actual real life perspective. Anyhow, so one of the things that I feel I'm kind of blessed with, if you will, is that. A lot of my characters or players have gone through a f- different phases where they're like, this character sounds really cool, I'm going to play this guy. And I have players that will pick a character that they've um, that's based on a cowboy that they remember from when they were a kid, but he's a gnome now. And somebody will pick something from a movie that they saw 10 years ago that they've always remembered. They, they try to cycle stuff through because some of them feel bored with what they've always done. I do have I do have a couple guys though that um, he's going to be anachronistic. He's going to suck at technology. He's going to be a curmudgeon, and that, I mean, you see where that's going. It's yeah. the same dude. It is always the same guy. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. So from a game master perspective, that bores the crap out of me sometimes because I'm like, oh, it's you, and oh, guess what? You made a dwarven curmudgeon. Ooh, really? Another one? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I've been in with some. So there was one group that I was in that I don't know if we played 
different enough different games and a long enough time to kind of nail those down. So if we were playing years ago, I had um, a group, we did Star Wars, and a lot of those guys just lived for a long time, and it was a long, ongoing two-year campaign. And then, you know, with uh, a recent group, we'd play, but I've only been playing with them for maybe two or three years. We've played a lot of different games, so we're not playing like, hey, we're going to run Pathfinder, and then we end that that kind of game campaign or story arc and then hey we're gonna play uh, pathfinder again and then to see that pattern but i can tell you i've got a long running group that i've known for a long time and we've played on and off for years and years and years and i've got some people that i can just put put my finger on exactly the person that they're gonna play every single time does it depend regardless of genre regardless of setting you always have a curmudgeon dwarf. He, this time he just happens to be a space dwarf, and this other time he's a fantasy dwarf. Or yeah, yeah, and it's it's not even yes, yeah. It, okay, it, it's like the um, you know, and I think it has to do with getting into you get into movies or books, um, and you pick out three archetypes, and you roll those three archetypes into one person. And then what happens is no matter what game you're playing or what genre you're playing, that player brings out that that one character that encompasses or embodies those three personalities. And it's funny. We make it a joke. Uh, you know, he he this particular person brings levity to the table. It's he's fun to play with. But he's so predictable. It's just, um, and then and then there's another individual that I know that always, you know, the class may change a little bit if you if we're playing a class system, which usually is the case. And when when I say class system, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, race, and you're picking a class, and within that class, you have certain abilities. And he would, he would pick, you know, either like a, it wouldn't be necessarily the class type, but the personality type would be more on the sly devious type so you could play a wizard and that wizard would be sly and devious could play a rogue that rogue's gonna be sly and devious you know could be you know a different race he's gonna be sly and devious you know it's always gonna be out for numero uno it's never gonna be the real knight in shining armor lawful good type of paladin guy it's always gonna be that type of person no matter what so it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like you're making a cake, and the cake is always the same kind of cake, and the only difference is the frosting you put on it. But when you yes. get through and you put that, it's fork- just a different food colored frosting, right? Yeah. It's still vanilla. It's still vanilla frosting. Well, it's just either blue or pink or green or whatever. Maybe, maybe that. But it, you know, they may put the you may put the fork through it, but it's always the same type of cake. It's always like, and you're so you know, and frankly, I don't mind. You know, players should play what they want. I guess there's a, there's an argument argument and debate there too. Like, hey, I just want my I, you know, I want you guys to play whatever you want. And then there's times I'm like, you know, that's probably why I got to find different players to play with, just to get different spices of how they play and what they do and who they play, um, and what they bring to the table. I'll tell you one of the things that I found was I ran the first time I ever ran a, a game convention game long time back was uh, Pegasus here in Mad- in Madison area. Had a game convention. This is, God, I was still in college at the time. I ran an in game. It was an abysmal failure. Like, nobody showed up hardly. 
But it was really interesting to see one guy came who had no concept of the game at all. He just thought my intro sounded funny. He wanted to see what it was about. And some other dude knew more about the game than I ever could. And um, so that was kind of weird. And then, but that was, you know, ages ago. So now I'm a much more seasoned game master, played a lot more. And when I ran at this little Evercon group, which they'll be doing again this next uh, January, it was really refreshing to play with this group of high school kids, a couple different adults. It made me think about when I moved down to Madison from my hometown and I started playing with people that I had met at work or that were friends of friends that I happened to meet from work that I went to college with or whatever it was. And um, I could reuse my dead babies, right? I could pull them back out. And these guys are like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord, dead babies. This is this is the vilest cult ever. We have to destroy them. And I'm like, really? You guys care about dead babies again? <clears throat> so I think one of them... And this kind of goes to what you'd said. This is that if you can get if you get the chance, honestly, to play with a different group of people, ever, and that's one of the beautiful things about cons, especially your little bitty con, like your your local ones, like Game Hole coming up. It's I mean, Game Hole's growing quickly, but you can game with a group of people that you've got no clue, right? Sean and I sit down, and the guy and the gal and the other guy across the table from us, we have no idea who they are. I've just met them right now. There's something really neat about that, and I think if it's worth going to those smaller conventions um, to get, to really get in there and just and uh, and to dive into it. And the other thing that that I've I've talked about this with my with my core group up in Wausau and about certain players always playing the same damn thing, and a few people have actually gotten to me and, and they've been like angry about it. Like, God damn it. He plays the same fucking person every time. This is so annoying. And my argument for the longest time was, has been, but he's having fun. Is he good at it? And they stop and go, well, yeah, he's really good at it. He's, he's really good being a curmudgeon dwarf. He's always been this character. I said, he loves it. I said, that's how he wants to play. Maybe we just need to let him do that because, frankly, you know, we, we don't want to take this guy and take his fun away and force him outside the box. Well, years and years later, now what I do is when I run a game, like I just did with my kickoff game, I leverage that stuff. My buddy JR loves to play in a chain of command type of game. He want, He's fine. If he's the captain, he will order you around. If he's this um, quartermaster... He owns that role. You know, he loves that type of thing. Structure, so on and so forth. If you give him that, he'll work within it. So we made JR the captain of this group. Everybody had, he's the spoke, excuse me, he's the, uh, he's the hub that all the spokes are, are hooked to, all the characters. Everybody knows him, therefore, that's how everybody knows everybody. And he's just totally getting off on it. And in most cases, previous to this, I wouldn't have gone with JR because he's not as dynamic of a personality as some of the other players. But we looked at it and everybody told me he plays this really, really well. He loves this stuff. The type of story you're setting up for this Avalon game, Brett, it's got to be JR. If it's not JR, it doesn't make any sense. Anybody else is just going to fail and JR will get pissed off and take over anyway because that he's really good at it. So for me, looking at my players now, as I've found, again, it's been years and years, and like for you, with certain guys you played with for years, is how do I leverage some of the things that they really want to do? Regardless of how, in my opinion, something might be boring or predictable, but how do I leverage that thing and really make it the focus? 
Because if for no other reason than that thing over many years hasn't been the focal point of a storyline for a very long time for these guys. They used to be, back in the day when they first made that character, was, oh my god, it's the first curmudgeon dwarf we've had in this group. This is great, he's fun, or whatever. And now, curmudgeon dwarf is the guy. He's right there, and he's the center. He's the hub of everything revolves around him. And I found that that has made... It's made that character cool again. And a lot of, and a lot of the other players are helping him build on that. Right? So JR's got his guy... He tends to be kind of antisocial with his characters, but he's every, but he's a commander. So everybody's like, I know you because of this, therefore we're friends and you owe me a favor. Yeah, okay, I'm in with that. Well, now he's stretched and everybody knows him and he's forced to work with him and everybody else's role-playing personalities are coming into play and he's got to figure out how to work with it. So he's it's new for him and it's new for the group to see the curmudgeon dwarf, which is like a JR character, um to then branch out and become the, the focal point of the story again. And everybody has to figure out how to, how to work with it. And, um, it, it, it's cool, I guess. Long way around is that it's sometimes if you take it and, um, instead of trying to shun it and push it aside saying, I've seen this a thousand times, bring it up, put a spotlight on it and say, this is the thing everybody has to focus on right now. So that's a good point. And I think that, um, you know, and I have that one group and I, one GM and one player, because we know what the player is going to play and the type of character he's, he's going to play, you know, what he wants and looks forward to in a game and knowing that. So going to what you're saying, what, what we're touching on is a lot of kind of like, Oh, it's boring. It's the same thing. It's repetitive. However, at the same time, if you flip it around the other way, the nice thing about it is it's maybe repetitive to the point where you can count on even just the same player playing the same person and you know what they expect out of it. So if the person wants to play Indiana Jones, Han Solo, and um, Deckard from you know Blade Runner, you know what that person as a player wants to get out of the game and what to throw at them so you can linger you know you could take the the gm stick and dangle it in front of them um without hitting them uh too hard and they'll they'll love that stuff and that's the funny thing about it is i think even some of the same old tropes that we may do as gms if you've got the character who wants that that wants that stuff, they always want the goofy cult and it's mysterious um, and dead babies. <laughs> then, then that's you know it's okay to serve him up one over the the other, um, even if you change the dead baby babies one way or the other somehow in characteristics or what why they're dead babies in this one and how they're different from the last campaign. But so I do think there is. You know, as much as we may complain a little bit, it may not necessarily always be a bad thing. And I think even as players, is that when I've when I've been a player, the a handful of times over the past number of years, is I'll sit in a group and I'm like, you know, like as I said previously, is I'll get bored with the character, like fuck, he's boring. I don't want to play this guy anymore. Dude, give me something else to do. It's not always every game isn't conducive to hey, Brett, just make a new dude. So sometimes I look at it and say, well, what do I have to do? And I look around the group with me. It's a subset of my normal gaming group. I mean, I had 10 people this last, I mean, yesterday playing with me. Um, so it's a smaller group of that that I'm playing with and we're doing stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to say, Zave, what do you think? Lenny, what do you want to do? Alpha, what's going on? Um, and I kind of hook up with them. 
I've seen my group do that now, and they've done it before. When I take the guy who tends to play a very particular type of thing and likes to do it, and I make him a focal point, even just for a piece of the story or just that session that evening, and the rest of the group, as players, say, I can have a lot of fun if I help Sean play his guy the best that he can. If Sean always plays a halfling thief, and I push him a little bit, and I say, you know what, Sean... As a halfling thief, you would definitely know how to figure out X, Y, and Z. This is why I'm coming to you. It may be stuff that you've never thought of because your halfling thief is always the same guy. But I'm taking it just a little bit further because in the back of Brett's head, I'm like, you know what? How come Sean never takes a damn thing to this level? How come he never takes it over here? Because if I was doing that, well, I take it to you. I bring you this thing in character for you to work with. And you can either say, no, I don't care about that because... Oh, why why don't I care about that? Oh, I don't care about it because that's how my mother died? I don't care about it because I left that life behind me or whatever the case may be. So I think as players, sometimes people like look at the game master and say, well, how come he's not fixing this guy? Or how come he's not doing this thing to help us out? As a player, though, you can look at that guy sitting across from you and say, you know what? Brett's the curmudgeon dwarf, and there's a way I could help this out. Because if I was playing a curmudgeon dwarf, says Sean, I would take it in this direction. I don't see Brett going to the right but I'm going to see if I can get him to go there. And there's no reason you can't do that. Bring it to him in character. Say, hey, curmudgeon dwarf Brett, how come you don't know about this? Or I need help. And I assume, because of who you are and where you came from, you would have this answer for me. If you don't have the answer, that's fine. But it then gives that player something else to talk. It gives him pause, right? Just something else to think about and how else they could take that and make it new. And when players are talking to the character, to the other player, characters talking to characters... That character then takes it twice as serious as when my NPCs talk to them. Right. You know, if Lenny if Lenny leans across the table and talks to Sean and says, Sean, I'm talking to you because you're a half elf and you're from the you know the Forbidden Woodlands, blah blah blah, that's twice as important to you to figure out how you're gonna work with him and form some kind of a connection versus Brett's NPC trying to do the same thing. Right. So I think um, wrapping up the topic, what we're saying is it may not necessarily be a bad thing to repeat tropes and, you know, especially if you're spreading it around. So in other words, you got one game group and then you go to a con and use the same trope and you go to another game group. It's not necessarily bad because it's different because you're using three different sample uh, or three different groups and experiencing that. And then if you're a player, um, knowing from a GM perspective that the the person's always going to be playing the same type of character, offering that up to them is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, But then again, it also comes, I think, you know, as we all armchair quarterback our gaming experiences, like Brett and I, of course, are the experts. And if you're not listening to us and writing this down into concrete yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you. We don't. don't we have no sympathy for you when your <laughs> exactly. when your shit is turns to I'm crap. Spit, I'm spitting diamonds over here. What the hell? Come on, people. This is. We should exactly. be. We should be charging you guys to listen exactly. to this crap. Exactly. Exactly. But anyways, because we're not, take it for what it's worth, and honestly, adapt to what you think is going to be best. And and it's always open dialogue, I think amongst players and GMs. And if you're doing that and everybody's having fun, then great. I hate the, as long as you're having fun, then that's all that matters thing. But it does kind of come down to that. Well, it does play into it. I mean, you, you need to have fun. And I think part of it is, is that 
if you can figure out how come Brett always plays the curmudgeon dwarf? How come Brett always plays the decker? Every time we play Shadowrun, Brett's the decker. Because Brett gets off on being the decker. Yeah, Let him have it, that. It's because his mom didn't hold him <laughs> enough when he was a kid. Exactly. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mommy didn't hold you enough when you were as a child. Yeah, we'll go right in a full metal jacket. My dad um, left me when I was a young kid, so now I always want to be a dwarf. <laughs> exactly. But if you can, as and it's not just a game master's job. I believe it's a, it's a collaborative storytelling effort, right? Or just raw. Even if you take the storytelling out, it's a collaborative effort to get through the dungeon, the story, the event, the occurrence, whatever the hell you want to call it, and you know build this thing together, build this uh, shared, the shared uh, entertainment together. And it behooves you, players or game masters, to figure out who's in the group, what they like, what they're good at, and uh, help each other out. If Sean likes to play Deckers and Brett likes to play Street Mages in Shadowrun, hey. Guess what? Why not make characters that are friends? If you're if Sean doesn't approach Brett, I can come to him and say, "Hey, I got a good idea. I've never partnered with a Decker before. I think it'd be fun if we were cousins. I think it'd be fun if we were twins." You can do that type of thing, and you can take something that's incredibly standard for you or standard for the game master and just take it to the next direction. Be it left, be it right, up, down, sideways, backwards, forwards, or flipped upside down. You can take it somewhere else and make that old thing kind of new again. And um, by from a player perspective, you can help make that happen as opposed to sitting back and bitching that the game master, oh, yeah, it's Brett. There's more dead fucking babies. I'm sick of dead babies. <laughs> right. You know, instead of doing that, take that character and say, this is a massive affront to me. I want to go through and make sure that I all the gold I've collected um, is now going to orphanages because I want to make sure all these children are protected. I want to do something. And it, it takes it to a different a different place and it just puts a different focus on things. It makes people just think about it differently. Yeah, stop. Stop the murdering of babies. Exactly. That If nothing else, tell, walk away from that. Stop. Stop killing babies in your stop games. Stop killing babies in your games. <laughs> Die. Roll. This is the part of the show where we have a few different points that Brett and I have come up throughout the week and we want to just throw them out there for people to uh, linger, ponder, linger, ponder upon. You want to go off with this one, Brett, first to start off? Well, yeah, I can start off. So I had my kickoff uh, game with my group. I alluded to that earlier in my Avalon game. And as I said last time, we were I'm using the Osric system as a core, using Lore Finder, which is part of the uh, gumshoe system, basically geared towards the Pathfinder slash D&D type of perspective. And uh, it was really freaking awesome. It was an amazing first session. Everybody got into it. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And um, there's something to be said there. As I, I mean, I talked through it kind of at the tail end, or not even the tail end, halfway through and to the end. A lot of the guys were playing characters that they are very comfortable with and that they've always been comfortable with. But... We forced bonds. I used that concept from Dun- uh, from Dungeon World, uh, the Apocalypse Engine stuff, right? The bonding between characters. How do you know this person? Why are you friends? How come Tabby knows this person? And how come this Chris knows Tabby? And how come because Chris knows Tabby, that means Tabby knows Dave and blah, blah, blah. And um, I had 10 people there, right? I've got 10 players that showed up. Most, I, if I'd had, Lenny couldn't make it, so there would be 11 total. Jeez. And even with that crew, we were able to go through the room and everybody felt like they knew everybody. It was a super great unified um, 
um, approach to everything, just mm. like I wanted it to be. It was it was a blast. I had a lot, a lot of fun with it. Um, the other one was to kind of tag on to that was is the gumshoe system. And frankly, from an investigative gaming perspective, I I have nowhere else to put my money. I mean, that is the best investigative game system out there right now. Whoa. If you want to run a game that's investigating, that's what you do. If you want to find clues, you want to move move the game forward, you buy a gumshoe game system. I'll tell you, I will play Trail of Cthulhu over Call of Cthulhu any day of the week. Wow. It's so, it's so much better to me. Yeah, I've, I haven't run it. Uh, I, I own it. I'd, I'd love to watch it in play for sure, but... One thing, I... To to that though, I actually um, I might be able. I think I'm going to be able to make more of Game Hold this year than I thought I was. If I can, then what I want to do is run a Trail of Cthulhu game for you, Sean, and a couple of the guys. Sweet. I think I think it'd be a blast. Sweet. So this is all kind of wrapped around my uh, my weekend of gaming, but my buddy Chad came in. He had his five E Player's Handbook and Monster Manual, and Sean and I are talking about this kind of preamble prior to uh, starting the recording here tonight, and my God, they look good. Okay, so just quick note. I did not pitch Brett D&D 5e, <laughs> nor did I show him my monster manual. No, you did not. All right, so I, I am not involved with influencing Brett on <laughs> this, on this, this system for, at all. <laughs> this soon-to-be purchase. No, that's <laughs> not you. He does have stock in Watsy, though, so therefore, every time I spend, he makes a money. He makes up. Um, no, it was really the, um, I've seen on Google plus and other places, people bitching about like the cover art. They don't like this. They don't like that, whatever. But for my money though, going through the inside, the internal art was very evocative and it, it felt like a different, the tone that the imagery within the, the book set was really cool. And, um, reading monster stats, I'm like, Oh, this is cool. That's kind of neat. Boy, this seems abbreviated. I kind of like the flow of this. And what I saw in the player's handbook, um, kind of a lot of what Sean has talked to me about and other f- people have talked to me about, it's, um, I think what's going to happen is my, uh, I'll hold out until the DMG hits and then I'm going to dump $150 on it. <laughs> I'm just going to buy the damn thing. It's going to happen. It's coming. The art in the monster manual is pretty good. And I like the stat blocks. They're much shorter, easier to read, but they also have the, uh, the environment, you know, yes. I don't, so there's certain, um, creatures, not all in the monster manual that have like an environmental, um, I don't know what you would want to call it. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a, an element of the environment that plays into what they can uh, do even more or better, which is kind of cool. It just, it feels a lot. I've got what I've, I think Sean and I both talked about this before in the office of the, I've got a little bit of burnout with some of the uber crunchiness, I love Pathfinder. I really do. It's one of the best. It's one of the best iterations of uh, of D and D I've ever played. You know, it, it has a lot of great crunch to it and so forth. But it requires a lot more work on my part as a GM and a player. I like to play very fast and loose. I ad lib a lot and I make stuff up as I go. Uh, very ad hoc gaming, kind of uh, on my feet. You know, just thinking, moving, grooving. And it's harder to do that with that type of system. And I'm looking at 5e and I'm thinking, you know what? I think I can play the type of improv game mastering that I like to do and that my group really enjoys better with that system. So again, and I think we can talk about this in another podcast, system does matter at some point. I mean, it's, it's not all just about fun. It's about how you can enjoy that, 
how you can get to the fun level that you want. And I think that it might take me there. So those are my th- those are my three. Okay. So <clears throat> I'll start off with my first one: Northeast Wisconsin Game of Palooza. If you haven't heard of this, uh, I hadn't heard of it until a few months ago. It's the old Ashcon uh, game convention. It's October 10th through the 12th at UW Oshkosh. So if you're in the area, that's uh, something to hit. Now, in years previous, it was a pretty board game intensive game con. I had gone up there and run Pathfinder one year. It's I, I liked it. It's good. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to get to it this year. I know the notice, at least from the podcast perspective, is pretty late because by the time this drops, you're going to have like two days to be able to go. Um, but check it out, newgamepalooza.com. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes if you want to link to that. And then the next one I had was the movie Fury, which is Brad Pitt's movie that opens up on October 14th. Is that the World War World War Two? Yeah, that's the tank movie. Ah, tanks. Yeah. Weren't you you were you're ex army, weren't you the guy dropping artillery on tanks? Yeah, yeah, I was an arty <laughs> I'm an arty dog, so uh I wasn't infantry, I wasn't tanker, but uh I was the king of battle. Artillery. <laughs> king of the battle. King, the king of battle. The king of battle is known I like what, it. is is what artillery is known for, and I believe infantry is known as the queen of battle. And then I don't know what tanks are, but uh, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to probably try to get to that one. Uh, I always wanted to run a World War II game. I just haven't really gotten around to it. Um, next one, um, I don't even know what I put down here, actually. Opinions of the game of gaming in this podcast. Oh, I got it. I think what I was trying to mention was, you know, Brett and I talk, and we have our own opinions, and they may be right or wrong. So take us with a grain of salt. By all means, we, you know, uh, we could be completely full of crap or... No, no, this is gospel truth. So I, I'm working with I'm working with Brett on this, you know. Uh, we're seeing a counselor. Yeah, I'm right, he's wrong. That's how it goes. So don't take anything we say too seriously, I guess is what I'm trying to say. To that point, though, I mean, we're, we're trying to, as I said earlier, and as Sean talked about too, there are a ton of different ways to figure out how to make your gaming better in one way, shape, or form. And quite frankly, if if you hear something that Sean says, you're like, man, that really helped. One, I'll be amazed. And two, (laughs) (laughs) all jokes aside, though, seriously, I mean, I would love to to hear it. So I say, you know what, guys? Uh, Sean said this thing, and it really really sunk in for me, and I I tried it, and by God, this, you know, the the group sung, and it was just awesome, and it was a lot of fun, and it helped me think about something. That's really cool. I mean, that's... Um, Sean and I have talked, as I said, over lunch many times, and some of the things that he said, like, hey, this, that, or the other thing, I've I've gone away and thought about it and adjusted, and, oh, holy shit, that works. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that that sums it up really well. Um, And then the the last thing I just added was that I'm kicking off a game. Um, The DM we had was, was having a hard time making things happen consistently. So I am officially kicking off a D&D 5e game online, rolling on Roll20.net. We're going to go with Roll20. I was kind of on the fence with that because I thought, I don't want the tool to get in the way of gaming. And I could just do Hangouts, but we'll try that and see how it works. Uh, I wanted four players. Now I've got six. Um, We'll see how it goes. Maybe, you know, over time somebody will drop. Who knows? Um, 
Kevin's in on that. You know Kevin. Is he? Awesome. Yeah. So he's... I, wanna re- I seriously want to report on that because I've not. I've never used Roll20. Um, I've used Google Hangouts before. Kevin's done uh, Hangouts with me, and uh, his son Austin plays with me. <coughs> Excuse me. He's done Hangouts before. And those work pretty well for the type of game we were running at the time. I'm really curious to see how Roll20 works, so that'll be cool next week to see how that played for you. Yeah, I've got the first few things that I need to do ported into the tool. Um, and it's got Fog of War, it's got dynamic lighting if you want to enable it. So it does take a little bit of prep work, but, you know, if you, like for me, I, I'm i like putting a goblin down on the map and then I put another one down and then I have to add something to it. But I didn't realize if you just like make one and that be the master and then you copy paste it all that stuff transfers to the rest of them so you don't have to like yeah you don't have to reinvent some of that stuff so if you aligning grids with maps and you know once you get kind of the nuances that you can pop out stuff really quick so we'll see how that goes the 10th we're going to kick off like just pc creation i'm using everything google so we'll see how that goes i'm gonna run a uh, starter set adventure i've mentioned this a couple times it's the lost mine of fandelver um that takes them from first level to fifth level and there is a bit of a sandbox element to the adventure which is nice so they'll be able to kind of pick and choose where they end up going um and half the group will have already gone through like the first encounter. So I'm hoping they won't spoil anything, but it should be a good time. We'll see how it goes. And then that first uh, session is like character creation and uh, expectations. Like, Hey, this is the way things are going to go. And you know, if you're not smart and you don't think about stuff, you're going to get the big ax dropped on your head and you're going to die. And that's just the way it is because five E does have, I've read a couple different things where people will say that it's, pretty high mortality rate and then there's people that are like i don't see that at all so um we'll see how it goes well we're eating our own dog food there right i mean we we talked about set the expectations had the put the big boy pants on talk to the group yeah let's do it i mean it makes sense and i'm I'm hoping that i mean if it doesn't work out where it's like hey if you don't want to run like this or you don't you don't want to you don't want to have this in the game no, that's fine. Just tell me you can leave or, you know, if I'm not doing a good job GMing, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, I got one guy already, a buddy of mine who's already like, hey, can I multi-class and can I use feats? I'm like, oh, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> Y'all know where the door is, right? That's where he came in. Well, I told him I said, <laughs> I'm, li- I'm willing to listen to what the group says. But I said right now I'm not looking at feats and this is why. They're just, they, they're hard to keep track of and they're not necessary you know, but if the rest of the players say, I, I want to use feats, I want to use feats, then I'll say, okay, fine, everybody use feats, whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what, how that goes. Yeah. If nothing else, from uh, two perspectives, I want the D20 view and I want the 5E view because uh, I'm going to, I'm a gaming junkie, man, at some point. Get me my 5E. I'm going to want it. <laughs> right. The veins. <laughs> I'm going to need the shot. But that's all I had for dice roll. Cool. I think we're good, man. I think we covered the the bits and bobs. I appreciate you putting up with me through the uh, overused tropes piece. I needed to needed to talk that out. So, so what do you th- what do you what do you think we should talk about in the upcoming episodes? Maybe toss around. Oh, you know what I think one of them should be. What's that? New gamers. New gamers? Yeah, you know what? I've actually got a number of new players. 
um, I, how do I want to say new? I have a number of people that play with me, and by a number of, I will say uh, probably three that are not as experienced as the rest of them, and um, I have at least two that have never read a rule book ever. That's awesome. And playing with the uh, high school gaming group, I get kids all the time. I'm playing again with them on the 25th of this uh, this month in October. I'm going to have a pack of guys that are going to show up to play whatever game I choose to run, and I'll be damned if they've ever read any of the rules that I plan to run. So I think that's a good I think that's a good one. So that may or may not be our next episode. We'll see. Depends on what Brett, has, uh, Brett and I have in mind. But I don't know. I just throw it out there. I think it's a good one. I think it is a good one. All right. Cool. Let's wrap this sucker up. This has been an episode of Gaming and BS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming, folks. Awesome.